I'm your host, Vic Choksi, and this is Victory Lab. The premise behind Victory Lap is simple. It's to have on luminaries from the sports, entertainment, and media worlds to talk about their journey, and most notably, one victory that helped them reach their goal. On today's episode, I speak with Don Povia. Don is the founder and president of Transition Sports and Entertainment. Don, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thanks, Vic. So for you listeners out there, I actually met Don super long time ago with Blogs for Balls in Chicago. I don't know if you... Blogs with Balls. Uh, it almost, I still blush when I say that nowadays, and we can talk about that later. But yeah, it was <laughs> some years ago, right? Oh, yeah. A long time ago, man. And uh, so let's kick it back, man. Let's talk about your journey a little bit. So when did you realize you wanted to work in the sports space? I know you're a big uh, Eagles guy, right? So just talk to me a little bit about how you got into sports or your passion for sports. I mean, my passion, I played three sports really through high school. I started playing football, baseball. Uh, I was all state uh, football player, wide receiver. Uh, had a couple different offers, more Patriot League type stuff. Uh, ended up getting hurt senior year, coming across the middle Thanksgiving game. Ended up getting a screw on my wrist, out most of the spring, couldn't play baseball. Uh, ended up going to Monmouth, uh, played football there uh, long before Miles Austin, I like to say. People were like, oh, you play with Miles? My- I was like, no, it was way before that. Chris Hogan, yeah, really way before that. Uh, injuries just kind of caught up. Again, I've been playing since I was five or six years old, got into a couple games, kind of went through spring ball and, and kind of lost my passion a little bit for it. So, yeah, I ended up uh, working for the school newspaper, ended up working my way up to managing editor, did a couple internships. I think I did three internships, graduated with a pol- political science and history degree. Uh, in about three and a half years, I was out of there, which was dumb. Like, why would somebody want to cut their college career short? It sounded, it sounded great at the time. Like, yeah, I'm going to make, I'm making $32,000. Like, you know, I'm 21 years old. And that sounded great back in, you know, 2000. And now it's yeah. like, wow, I should have really taken advantage of my senior year a little better. I went back to grad school at George Washington. The passion for sports was always there. The passion to work in sports really came as I was working in politics. I kept doing better, doing well, did that for a number of years, was running a state party for four years and just realized how much I started to hate people when I was in politics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, started doing the sports blogging thing in 2007, which was kind of a mixture of my passion for sports and outlet from politics and, you know, tapping into that editorial background that I had gotten as an undergrad and, you know, just for fun. And we started passing articles around pretty much a group of grad school friends from all over the country were just writing from different perspectives. And I remember my wife contributed once and uh, (laughs) did like a movie as related to sports type of post. And Jimmy Trana picks it up from hot clicks. And next thing I know, everybody's like, where's all this traffic coming from? They're like, Oh, it's Angela's uh, it's Angela's post. And you know, I think I emailed Trana. He's like, Oh yeah, we, we follow hugging Harold Reynolds, another name that I like to blush at, you know, yep. <laughs> over a HHR, decade. Those are the days. <laughs> decade later. So, you know, I was still working in politics and uh, that was anonymous as an outlet as many of us were back in those wild west days. But as I was traveling for work, I just started building relationships with bloggers and podcasters all around the country. So, you know, I remember, being at the uh, Republican National Convention in Minnesota in 2008 for John McCain. And I'm like, screw this. I'm going to find Michael Rand and grab a beer with him. And that's what I did. I was just, you know, I was tapped out. It, was, it became a job for me on that front. And I, I yeah. didn't like it. 
And uh, yeah, so the blogging stuff started picking up. I started building these relationships literally all across the country face to face, whereas a lot of guys were just anonymous bloggers. And, you know, I still have an anonymous, uh, you know, uh, Twitter handle and the relationships kind of flourished. And I remember being at an event with Kyle Bunch, who was one of my co-founders with then blogs with balls. Now we've since rebranded that as we've grown up and had families and are more cognizant of the world around us. <laughs> but Kyle and I are at this sort of uh, tech meetup and it was like, it was like internet memes before memes were a thing. It was like Obama girl and Afro ninja and Tron guy. And we're like, this is really cool. This is a really cool culture, but it has nothing to do with sports. Yeah. And we kind of went to lunch and said, you know, what if we were to do something like this conference wise, where we can bring a lot of these really creative people together and put them in a room and talk best practices. And everybody back then is like, all right, what platform are you? Is it Blogspot or WordPress? Or, you know, it, was, you know, it wasn't even like a real URL. You had yeah, that. Yeah that suffix at the end, the ideas just started floating and we started looking around, like, is there anything like this that really catered to the creator and the creative types, as opposed to sports marketing type events that like SBJ and the like were, were putting on that were charging you a thousand dollars to go sit with a bunch of suits and talk nuts and bolts. But we were looking at it at the other end, that grassroots end, how can guys that are doing this as a hobby or students that are coming out looking to do some writing, you know, how do we make it affordable for them, fun? And we're talking sports, like we don't need to be so buttoned up. Like, let's just talk like I'm talking with Rand in, in Minnesota. Like, how do we just talk like we're talking at a bar? We started begging and borrowing and it didn't really take much. We said, you know, I think Yard Barker was one of our first sponsors and said, hey, we just need some advertising with you and get the word out and maybe a little bit of cash. You know, when we started asking the bloggers, it was easy. They all just jumped at it. Uh, and next thing I knew we had, you know, 30 bloggers talking about different topics in a basement and not coincidentally in New York, 300 people show up. Uh, ESPN sends cameras for a feature on the rise of social media and sports and started just grabbing B-roll and it was interviewing some of our people the day before Josh Elliott must've gotten word of it. And on sports center, I think it was with Linda Cohn was like, Hey, are you coming to join us uh, at this sports bloggers event at the basement? And she was like, what? And then it like cuts, cuts out. So we had guys like that there again, ESPN sends cameras, Sports Illustrated reached out. They were launching a lot of digital platforms at the time and wanted to give out iPads and said, hey, can we give you $1,000 and give out like iPads to folks? We're like, yes, <laughs> like let's do it. And then I started going out on the uh, agency side and saying, hey, you're trying to reach all these people. I'm going to have them all in a room. Why don't yeah. you sponsor it? Uh, a guy named Rich Gallagher was working with Taylor at the time. Uh, they were representing the Diageo portfolio, you know, before John Taffer, they were, they were sponsoring blogs with balls <laughs> and uh, you know, Guinness came on and they've been a great partner really ever since they they've always come back. They saw the value out of it, but you know, listening to your, you know, to your show and, and thinking about that aha moment when things clicked, I think it was really that first event when we looked around that basement and saw these, big names, these small names and created this dialogue that didn't exist. That got me out of politics and that flipped the switch and said, okay, I can work in sports where my heart is, where my creative juices can flow, you know, let's do it. And I just kind of, you know, shifted. I just really pivoted, moved over. And, you know, for the last decade plus, it's been mostly sports, a little bit of 
politics on the side for competitive reasons, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm about 95% sports and entertainment right now. How did you get more on the business side, like the agency side? The relationships from that event and particularly with the sponsors that saw my relationships would come to me and say, Hey, can you connect us with this person? Or can you connect us with that person? So it really became the network that I developed that became my selling point for really everything that I've done since. So, you know, on the business side, the agencies came to me, said, well, we're sponsoring your events. Why don't you just come on and be a sports strategist for us? And I hadn't really worked for an agency. I remember the first interview that I had with a particular agency and its CEO, he said, well, what do you know about public relations? I said, well, I've worked in politics now for five, six years. I said, what do you think politics is? It's public relations. Like you have a brand, I have a candidate. You have a consumer, I have a voter. We need to find a message that's going to move that consumer or voter to take an action, either buy a product or cast a vote. I said, it's all about money, message, and organization, which was one of my guys that I looked up to used to say, think mom, think mom, think mom, right? Money message organization or money organization message. And, you know, just applying, I think, transferable skills from what I had done. And, you know, politics is a zero in game that you win or lose. Yep. Um, so you have a very finite goal. So taking that skill set and just readjusting it to something, again, that I'm passionate about wasn't too difficult. Where I found the difficulty, particularly on the agency side and on the business side, was I was thinking digital. Everyone else in that agency is thinking traditional. So how do we throw numbers on a spreadsheet for you know viewers and listeners and readers where I'm saying, that's all great, but they're also kind of hollow. And also people are thinking not only digital right now, but really mobile. And, and this sounds like a no-brainer now, but in 2010, 2011, that was kind of a difficult sell. And I'm also saying, well, why am I as the digital strategist? My job is to pitch bloggers. One, every one of you should be talking to bloggers. Like you traditional PR people should be talking to bloggers. You know, two was to come up with a Facebook post where I'm saying we should be thinking about this a lot more holistically than we are. So a a lot of headbutts went on there, you know, so I, I didn't necessarily get along in that environment, but it was also the best training for me to go ahead and, you know, kind of take it to where I am now because I had that experience. And as a blogger, particularly a blogger in the late 2000s, it was like fly by the seat of your pants, just throw it up, don't credit anything, don't go through these, you know, these, these hoops. And when you're working for a big client and a big company, like you need to go through legal hoops, you need to have sign off from 20 different people. And then I'm like, get it back the next day. And I'm like, that's past, like we can't even use that now. So part of it was frustrating because of the nature. Part of it was frustrating because people didn't know there was no precedence for anything. But um, I think it really did button me up professionally to, you know, to kind of carve my own path and have that basis of knowledge. So definitely don't have any ill will about it. Now, conversely, in between, I started doing my own consulting, working a lot with individuals. I always had that mindset, how do I take these these best practices that I have with these big companies and apply them to individuals. And this is before like, you know, I'm a businessman and uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm more than an athlete. This is before that still thinking that way, but it wasn't so defined. And I kind of plateaued at a point where I had about 12 clients. I really couldn't scale very well as more of a, a consultant or, you know, a freelancer, if you will. So I got recruited by a guy that was a multi-time blogs of balls speaker 
And uh, he said, hey, uh, I'd love for you to come on and, and build out more of a distribution end to our digital company. So we're building really cool stuff. Um, how do we get that out in the right hands without having to hand it off to a different company? With that, I ended up getting digital agency experience. I have my own freelance consulting experience. I have my agency experience on top of all the campaign experience that I've had. So it's really a unique path that I took having the media background as a blogger, but also the relationships with media. I was fortunate to work with the fan side and Vox and SB nation when they were launching some new verticals. When I got to the digital agency, they get purchased by vice media. Wasn't what I signed up for kind of changed my whole role. So that kind of quickly moved me uh, again, pivot me again, but they're like, Hey, before you go, vice wants to launch a sports channel. And we told them that we have a great sports guy that knows all the ins and outs. Can you go over and help them launch, you know, vice sports. So, you know, again, now it's media, digital, traditional agency campaigns, um, and really just kind of filling out a bigger picture. So putting that all together, then talk to me a little bit about now, right? Like tra- transition sports and entertainment, yeah, so 2014-ish, been at Carrot Vice for about a year, and I kind of came in and said, all right, I think I've accomplished what you asked me to accomplish now. Keith Bullock uh, was a friend, uh, multi-time All-Pro with the Tennessee Titans, um, just had a mutual friend, and we didn't have a business relationship or anything else like that. He was going back to get his MBA at George Washington, where I actually got my uh, master's from. And uh, he's at my house. He's a Syracuse grad. My wife's a Syracuse grad. I got a bunch of orange people around me. We're talking. He says, hey, I'm going back. I'm going to get my MBA. I have to do this final project. He's like, I love what you've done in the corporate space. I love what you've done with these really no-name people and kind of built something out of nothing. Um, I want to put this idea together where we help guys transition from, and he came up with a name, uh, how we help them transition from their playing careers to their post-playing careers. And he used himself as an example and some of the teammates. He said, hey, and he still says this. My wife's like, that's kind of like rude, <laughs> but in a, in a nice way. Yeah. Like, you know, hey, I've made $40 million in my career, but I've kept $40 million. He's like, but I'm like the outlier. Like, I'm not the rule. He's like, there's a lot of teammates, and I won't mention names, that have made as much money, had a much bigger name than he has that had nobody around him to build something sustainable. And, you know, just to get a little deeper for me, working on both sides on the brand side and working with a handful of athletes, John Runyon ran for Congress. I was doing a lot of his digital stuff on the campaign side to marry, you know, those two worlds, you know, Tiki Barber early on in the Thuzio days, which has evolved so much, right. I was, I think I was on retainer for him for about two years, but you know, how do we how do we take these things and apply them to really any athlete and find a way to give them a playbook that's going to help them, um, you know, pivot? So yeah, he came up with that. Uh, we had uh, four original partners, um, and you know, about the hiccups, it it still ended up being a lot of the work fell on my shoulders. Uh, Keith is awesome, still is awesome, um, but his was more contribution of like, no, this is what'll work. This won't work. You know, he's still part of the company. Um, Chris Lucas uh, from blogs of balls was involved. Chris was like my right hand person. He launches a, a startup has to leave. So here it is again. Now everything's kind of falling on me. I didn't want to go back to being a consultant because I knew I couldn't scale. I ran into that problem once. So how do I build an agency around me and afford to pay people that can do the work that I want to put out? So, 
for the first couple of years, it was good, but it was the same old, same old, here I am plateauing again. It wasn't until I found a couple of new partners that we were able to bring in that really don't know anything about sports that I said, great, I don't need people that need sports. I need people that know business and go to market strategies and financial acumen. And when I found those other pieces that complemented what we had already built, I think that really hit the switch. But that was, you know, two years in, we really started shifting. So 2016, 2018 is when we reestablished the, the actual company from a legal standpoint, brought some new partners on. But now I've gotten to a place where I haven't been before from a productivity side, from a team side, I have a full creator studio headed by former guys with MLB and artists that I picked off from the Yankees, which was some work that I did in between all this. And uh, a guy that used to do stuff for the University of Oklahoma football. So I have really creative types that I've created a creator studio. Really fast forwarding to now with COVID, a lot of people that I knew from the traditional side started getting furloughed and laid off. I scooped a couple of them up, gave them a little bit of stake in the company and said, I can't be the only PR guy. Help me build out a news bureau. So I have a news bureau I have with a guy that was on the brand side, a guy that was on the agency side. I was on the digital side at the creator studio of artists that have worked on major brands. We sort of absorbed a sports tech ventures, which was more sports digital startup. So brand side. So it's really kind of come together now in the last, I would say, two years. But those two years were also a bit of a reset. And now I'm back to startup mode, you know, building it back up. So you kind of built something up. I have the name. It's good. We've created great work. I'll put my work against anyone, but then reshuffling the team to really, you know, adapt with the time, adapt with the needs of people. Uh, the biggest thing is we are a one-stop shop now. And with all that experience that I had before, it, it was all piecemealed. It yeah. was, I was working with sister agencies, you know, okay, there's a digital agency. You're the, you know, you're the digital guy and the PR agency. Oh, we have an ad buyer. For now, I look at communications and I look at PR and it, it's all of the above. Like how do we create great content that drives story that is its own earned media? How do we complement that when needed with a paid campaign? You know, do we need it? How do I speak the language of both the athlete that wants an endorsement deal that I'm trying to say, forget endorsement deals, like build your own, <laughs> like your own company, your own LLC on your own passions. But then, okay, I also know the brand side. So, all right, what does the brand want to get out of this relationship? And what have I called bullshit on all these years? Like, yeah, I can do a pay for a post, but nobody's getting anything out of that. All right, how do I build, help you guys build a campaign on both ends? So I'm, I'm really, again, kind of like that blogs of balls where I was the conduit between old media, new media brands. I'm still that way now with all those and then athletes on top of it. Was there, so when you were hitting this plateau at transition and then things kind of worked out, you brought in some new partners. Was there a big client or anything that happened that you were like, yeah, you know, we're heading in the right direction? I think one of the testaments that I have is not big clients, but doing really good work for mid-sized clients. And the word of mouth, like that's one thing that I couldn't do everything that I was doing and then also be a biz dev guy. Now I have some people that can kind of complement that side. But I think the fact that we're transparent, we're honest, we do good work, that's led to kind of referrals that way. And talking about guys with Kobayashi, who's been to a couple, um, you know, 
of our events in the past, like got, he's still there. He moved back to Japan. His manager said, Hey, we're going back there. We still need a rep in, in the States. Can you be that person, right? That yeah. trust. Uh, Phaedra Knight is a hall of fame rugby player. I had her in 2012 when I'm doing my own thing and she's still here and I'm helping her in, in various capacities all these years later. And from her, we have now two active members of the U S women's rugby team that are, you know, should have been in the Olympics in July. One's the all-time leading scorer. One's the former captain. I have another female Olympian uh, who's a gold medalist from the water polo. My boxers, I'm now, it looks like we're going to sign our fourth boxer. Everybody likes us and trusts us that they say, hey, talk to Don. Like, you know, one of our boxers, um, I would say this, he's the guy that he's not the biggest client. And we've had some decent sized clients and, and we've done subcontract work for, I'll name names, like we've done some Dick Sporting Goods stuff, a major healthcare conglomerate. So we've had some of those, but I think my boxer is the one that I'm most proud of. So Cordell Booker, he's 15 and 0, but he has such a story and such trust in us. I just got off the phone with him because he's going to be fighting in October, coming off an Achilles injury. But in between, so when I first started working with him, he was about 3-0. and He just had a documentary come out that was being shown in LA, New York, at one New York film festival, something or other. So there was that, and we were able to, we got him walking in three different New York Fashion Week shows as a, as a model. We had him print work. We got him on an MSNBC commercial, which was all great. But the bigger thing was, like, the documentary was about the fact that he was arrested for drugs and guns as a teenager, should have had 13-year mandatory minimum, ends up getting probation, goes into the boxing ring, and becomes 2015 national champion with US, USA Boxing, wow. which is awesome. Now, here's where it really got me going. So in 2017, he started coming to me and said, hey, I think I want to wear a Kaepernick jersey to the ring uh, at the Barclays Center uh, for my fight. I said, okay, why do you want to do that? Well, I believe in starts rattling off the things that he believes in. I said, okay. I said, well, let's think about this. I'll support you, whatever you want to do. Um, I said, but think about, and again, this isn't 2020, this is 2017, the yeah. reaction that you're going to get for that. Different times there too. Yeah. Right. I said, that's okay. I said, and think what you want to accomplish from that. Those are the two things. So I said, the reaction is, I don't want you being the boxer that wore the Kaepernick jersey, right? I want you to be Cordell Booker, not, you know, the guy that wore that at the Barclays Center. That's number one. I said, you're struggling to get matches. You're winning all the matches that you fight, but like, will this be an adverse reaction that'll affect that? I don't know, but, but think about it. I said, but here's the other thing. For the issues that you just said that you wanted to get across and advocate for, I said, none of that's going to happen because the people that support Kaepernick are going to take you and use you as a pawn for their cause. And the people that don't support him are going to use you as a pawn for their cause. And their messages are going to be ones that are out there and not yours. So we did a lot of brainstorming and we ended up putting the Go to the Distance Foundation together where he started mentoring young at-risk youth in Stamford, Connecticut. And what he did is he hosts regular boxing training sessions with this youth and members of the police department. The judge that put him away came in and, and spoke with him at one time, the fire department, you know, did something where he could have a positive effect on the things that he wanted to affect in his community. Uh, his last fight was on Fox, uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini saying, Hey, he's doing a punch a thon here, by the way, we just found out for every punch that he lands, like people have pledged money to his foundation, starts talking about the foundation. So that to me 
was, was something that's personal. That's good. It's helping. It's helping him. I love him. He's one of my favorites. Um, he's going to be fighting in October, but that he's been with us for about five years now, four or five years. And we just keep growing and evolving. When the BLM stuff came down, he's on Facebook. I mean, Instagram, just going nuts and, and, calling people out on all sides. And I call him up and said, what's going on? What are you trying to get across? And he said, there's people, there's an issue here. This is a real issue. He's like, but the people that are advocating supposedly for this issue are doing it for the wrong reasons. He's like, we had a protest. We started here, got everybody riled up, walked down to the courthouse, got in front of the cops and nobody said any of that stuff. He posed, you know, he kneeled down, he posed for a picture and put it on the gram. And that was it. He goes, again, like what, what we want to accomplish isn't getting accomplished. Did yeah. this big letter to the editor at the Stanford Advocate said, if nobody else is going to take up the mantle for, you know, for black lives in my community, I'm going to do that. And then the outpouring just came and the support just came. So, you know, I, I love the Olympians. Uh, I feel bad for the Olympians. These are girls that pay for their own training, pay for their own cleats, need sponsors to do that. And now they just got another year of bills added on top of them. So, yeah. you know, being able to, to help them out has, has really been uh, pretty amazing. Um, I had some CFL guys that are in a bad spot right now. I've had, um, you know, some NFL guys that were, should have been at least in camps this year that weren't able to going to camp because of, because of the, uh, the cut downs. So, you know, in terms of a big client, I, I don't think there's anybody that jumps out besides, you know, Cordell because of that sort of evolution and that sustainability. But we've had a great stable in general that has remained pretty loyal. And I love them. Like they're, they're family. Like we use a stupid hashtag that I didn't come up with. Right. My, my creative director is like TSE fam and my co I'm like, yeah, the fam. I'm like, but it really is. We, we look at it as, as like a family environment. And, at my stage in life, like I'm 40 some years old, I have three kids. Like for now, it's like, it's not about me anymore. It's kind of more about that legacy and what can I pass on good to my kids? And, and I think my mindset's kind of flipped in the last, you know, certainly since transition, because it's not for the money per se, because, <laughs> you know, just keep, uh, you know, and the more I grow, the less I get, like yeah. I got more, I got more mouths to feed, so to, so to speak. <laughs> And I was going to ask you about how COVID has kind of affected you guys and you, you answered that. You know, the other thing I, I keep telling people is like, we can't just plan for the now. Like we have to make some assumptions of what happens because everybody's playing catch up. Like we need to get out in front of things. And I think that's the, that's the most important lesson that I've learned. I remember when it first happened, everybody's like, everybody's going to be at home. They're going to be watching their computers. They want more content, content, content. And then what happens? Everybody put crap content out there and it just flooded the market with like low quality stuff and the good stuff might have gotten lost in that because there was no strategy to it. It was all tactical. Like let's put it out there. Like if we build it, they'll come. It's like, no, that's, that's not the case. So again, not being re knee jerk, but you know, trying to think about some scenarios and, and you know, how do we come out of it? So looking back on your whole journey, right? Tell me about one victory, small or large that helped you get to where you are today. It could be anything. I think it was really, and I'll give you two, and, and this might sound cliche too, but one was that first Blogs of Balls event. And again, now it's the outside game. So look up the outside game yep. um, is one. And I described that, right? And that was showing that there was a void that I saw that I, and, and you know, Kyle and Chris uh, as well, but, you know, there was a void that I saw and said, I can do something about that. And 10 years later, I mean, last year, last September was the 10 year anniversary 
like we're still doing that. It's still around. Like people appreciate it. Guys like you that saying, Hey, I still have contacts. We threw a Super Bowl party in Miami before COVID, which was going to be like our big kickoff. We're doing all these things this year, right? September we had an event and then we did our, our February event and it was going to come out. But there was a guy that was saying, Hey, you know, uh, I have a job with a, you know, a gaming company now. And guess what? The CEO and I were on a panel together at the Vlogs of Balls in Vegas. So when I'm interviewing for this job, I said, Hey, remember when we did this? He's like, there are so many people that have said, you know, I got a job because of this, or, you know, I've made lasting friendships because of this. Sarah Spain said it on uh, one of the ESPN radio shows just a couple months ago. Somebody's like, yo, turn, tune into ESPN radio. Sarah, Sarah's saying that she really got exposed to like the media landscape through your events. You know, that's, that's cool. So the fact that that's still there, everything that I've done in the last 10 years came from that singular event, which showed it can be successful. I can do it. I can totally change career paths and go none of that. And here's the cliche part, like really my wife, like my wife is like the stability side of it. Who's also, and also the check and checks and balances side where I've been able to be an entrepreneur or a startup in a lot of different capacities because I have her support, but I also have her saying like, yeah, maybe it's time to rein it in a little bit. So, um, you know, the fact that I've been here with her with nearly, 17 years <laughs> she's seen it all uh yeah, the good sure. the good the, the good the bad and the ugly but she really has been a support system that's enabled me to do all this and to be honest with you like helped out in a lot of it too so find find a good partner folks because uh you know if, if you want to really be happy i think that's kind of what it comes down to and i think and here's all right more cliche is that I started focusing on being happy and less about being successful. And I found the success came with the happiness and and maybe that's fatherhood. Maybe that's old age, but priorities change over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. You nailed it, man. You nailed a couple of big points. I think that I'm starting to realize after hitting 40 and having some kids as well. Okay. So before we wrap it up, I always like to do a little rapid fire Q and a, uh, nothing serious, best pizza, Chicago or New York. New York. <laughs> Favorite athlete growing up. <laughs> uh, I got his autographed jersey right there from my best friend when he got married as his best man, Randall Cunningham. I remember watching that. Q- fog QB. Oh, the fog. Uh, yes. You Chicago. remember that? Yes. I, we're kind of the same age, right? right? Uh, yeah. You, you know what? I had that on, uh, it was, I had a little black and white TV between yeah. the snow and the static on the TV. I turned on the radio with Merle Reese here in, in Philadelphia and you had to listen to it, but they didn't, they couldn't even see what was going on either. Yeah. Fog bowl. That was was classic, man. Favorite publication to read growing up. That's not for kids. Actually. Um, my dad always had sports illustrated and my aunt for years got me a subscription for my birthday to sports illustrated for kids. That was, that was my go-to. Last question. Any advice to someone who's trying to make it in the industry and anywhere in the sports kind of ecosystem? Yeah, I think it's a balance of, uh, of knowing when to speak up and not, when not to speak up. And I think in my early agency days, I kind of hit some of those hiccups, like recognizing that you don't know anything. Yeah, you might have great ideas, but um, there's other people that have been through it that are probably equally as talented. So appreciate the team around you. And, and when they're not that good, that's, that's fine too. Recognize that. Be aggressive be creative, but also be humble and, and listen as much as you speak. I love it, man. Well, thanks a ton for your time. It was great chatting it up, man. It's been a long time. So stay safe and good luck, man. Thanks, Vic. Appreciate being on. Yeah.
My thanks again to Don for joining me today. Don's a marketing vet and a connector, and I love the work he's doing over at Transition, so make sure you guys check him out. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to give us a like or a follow and definitely share the word with your friends. Last but not least, you can follow my work at DocSquad33 on Twitter or VicChoxy33 on Instagram. Thank you again for listening. I'll see you next time on Victory Lab.